The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Implement the iScotch interface in your container object and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 82 with guest Richard Hale Shaw, recorded live Friday, September 24th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet, ASPNet, and C-Sharp classes online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Dundas Chart, advanced technology, advanced results, online at www.dunduschart.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the dude who can be seen on Friday afternoon singing Morning Has Broken in airport terminals, Carl Franklin. Gotta get enough points to finally land me a place in the Morning has broken like... How you doing? This is Carl Franklin, and you're listening to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. And uh, my guest tonight, not my guest, my co-host tonight, as he always, usually <laughs> always is, in Portland, Oregon. Yes, I got it right this this time. Rory Blythe, how are you, sir? What's up? Did you read this about Cat Stevens? I'm sorry, Mr. Stevens, no. the most peaceful man in the world. You can't come into America. He got deported because he's on a list of no, uh, people who aren't allowed to fly. Apparently, okay. and the government told him to go home. Okay. He he tried to come from Britain, and uh, they wouldn't let him come in the country. You know, he's Cat uh, yeah, well, Stevens, the guy who changed his name to uh, Yusuf Islam and embraced the Islam. And I I guess I'm, there's a rumor that he gave some money to Hamas or something, or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay, you know who Cat Stevens is, right? Yeah, I haven't really. Uh, well, I mean, I've heard the name, but I haven't <laughs> oh, really been okay. up on current events. Okay. Yeah, he uh, he wrote some some songs uh, that were very popular in the '60s and '70s. Peace Train was one. Morning Has Broken was the other one. Peace and Train. Oh, baby, it's a wide wide world. Wild world, father and son. Wild world. Oh, you, uh, the wind. Is, wait, is that the song? That, oh, baby, baby, it's a wild. Yep, it yeah, remade. is that it? it? Was yeah. Back in the early 90s, I hate that song. <laughs> oh, I hate that song. Uh, oh, man. yes, keep him the hell out of this country, <laughs> Jesus. Especially when I'm in like in an airport yeah. terminal waiting in line, you know, to check your bags. Here also in the studio, as you can tell, is uh, Kirk Webb, the weird wide web guy. 
you know, he's going to be putting in his two cents as least often as possible, I'm sure. <laughs> How are you doing, Rory? <laughs> I'm doing all right, you know. Uh, I presented at the Portland Area.net user group meeting last night with Scott Hanselman, and that was pretty fun. We talked about some of the membership stuff in ASP.net 2.0. And, oh, cool. uh, just basically heckled each other from, you know, like two feet away. That's great. Um, if you ever come to like a Scott and Roy talk, that's really all it is, is we kind of get up there and we like bitch slap each other <laughs> until, uh, until we feel that we've done enough bitch slapping that we can say, all right, show's over. Let's go get some food, which is what we did. So it was actually pretty fun. But the thing I want to talk about right now, now, who was the guy last week who, uh, we agreed to give the copy of Visual Studio Net, uh, Pro to? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Richard, uh, Thomas. Thomas? Yeah. Richard Thomas. Okay, well, I got it in the mail today. We got to get his sh- we okay. We got to get his uh, shipping information because right. Um, I'm I'm not, I'm not actually wanting to send him Visual Studio .NET Professional anymore. I want to send him Visual Studio .NET Professional 2003 Special Edition. Wow! Right, because I went out and after after Joe Stagner's um, challenge on the show last week, you know that that thing like uh, right. Rory, you're going to get yourself a copy of VSNet Professional. Well, I got two copies of VSNet Pro 2003 Special Edition, and uh, the cool thing about this is it has. Um, Windows Server 2003 included. It has SQL Server 2000 Developer Edition included, and it also includes Microsoft Visual Studio tools for uh, for Office. Wow! So there's there's some extra stuff on here. There's also some training materials on a disk, um, and just a bunch of other resources. So it's awesome. actually pretty cool. I think it's like a yeah, it's like a seven hundred and forty nine dollar value, and we're just gonna give it to the guy. Ask and so he the, shall the URL, receive. <laughs> yeah, the URL for uh, VSNet Professional Special Edition is uh, tonight. Anyway, it's shrinkster.com slash R2. Right, so okay. this is, it's actually a pretty cool package. So I'm excited what is, about What is this. different and, about it? Um, so Special Edition is the package that has all that stuff in it, is basically what you're saying. Yeah, and Special is Edition is VS.NET Pro 2003. Oh, Pro, okay. It's Pro, but it comes with a whole bunch of extra crap. Okay, so nice. It, it's like it's the same thing, but more, right? What is the difference so between cool. Pro and Enterprise anyway? Nobody seems um, to the know difference this. between Pro and Enterprise. Yeah, I'm, uh, no, I'm I'm pretty sure that Enterprise comes with. Uh, I want to say it comes with maybe like an OS or something, or it comes with a bunch of like optional installs so that you can test a bunch of extra software. And I think it also comes with the ability to use the uh, Enterprise templates created with Enterprise Architect. And what about uh, debugging store procedures? Is that like only in the Enterprise Edition? Oh too? yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah I, I don't know. I'm not up on that stuff. I should be. I you know we use yeah the well there's edition, that yeah. there's a feature matrix up if you go to the site and okay. uh, you know you want to find out the difference but what I've always done is you know I'll show up someplace and I'll have MSD and Universal and I'll just go well I'm just going to install right. Enterprise Architect right and right. Then I just say no to like ninety percent of the install options and I wind up with like a scaled down version of Professional and I'm yeah. happy so cool well I won't uh, belabor you with the details of my week and you know it was a class uh, taught an ASP.NET class did a cool thing in the class though I decided to take a break from the standard, uh, you know, very small projects and give these guys like a big project that we would chip off little pieces mm-hmm. of at a time with all the all the different technologies in ASP.NET. And that turned out to be really good because, you know, they could they could visualize the thing, the whole thing working and it, multiple pages and logins and security and and hashing passwords and you, you name it. We had it in there. And uh, that was that turned out to be a lot of yeah. fun. So I think I'm going to try to work that into the regular uh class every time and possibly into the other one as well anyway cool. so it was a it was a good week otherwise i do have an announcement to make uh i got an email from some guys in the mobility roadshow group who are doing a mobility roadshow a dot net mobility roadshow at microsoft and uh, they have a website about it called at www.msmobilityroadshow.com 
And here's their blurb. Have you been thinking about taking your code mobile? The .NET to Go Mobility Roadshow will provide you with the answers to your mobile development questions. Digging into the details, using more code and fewer slides, these technical sessions will show you how to develop and implement mobile solutions using the .NET Compact Framework and languages you're already familiar with. To register for this free event or to learn more, go to www.msmobilityroadshow.com. And uh, a roadshow means it's coming to your area. And uh, I don't know if it's national, international, or whatever. Uh, you'll have to go and check it out. I haven't, so pardon me. And uh, we have some mail. We got some mail. Pretty good. Uh, last week, if you remember, the uh, the guy who sent me, uh, Michael, saying I don't have his last name right here. Um, sorry, Michael. He sent me something about the uh, the Pascal compiler that Borland is coming out with for .NET. And uh, I told him I'd send him a mug. And he said, thanks, I already have one. Are there any lunchboxes left? <laughs> he said, thanks for reading the email. I'm a little bit upset, though. After reading Pascal Compiler for .NET, you commented, now that would be groundbreaking. I'm obviously not a native English speaker, so this might be just a misunderstanding. But somehow that sounded a bit sarcastic to me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you as a VB guy can understand that my feelings are a bit hurt now. You certainly encountered a lot of C++ MFC programmers which refused to look beyond the horizon and thought VB was some kind of child toy. And then there was Delphi, never really popular, but without doubt superior to Visual Studio 6.0. Even Robert Scoble said this. Uh, Delphi had a framework like WinForms in version 1 almost 10 years ago, probably not yet as powerful as WinForms today as even Delphi has evolved over time. We have properties, get, set, accessors, and events in Delphi 1. And uh, by the way, I agree. Delphi, Delphi is awesome. Uh, now, in my opinion, Delphi 8, the first .NET version, really sucked. And Borland is now the one who has to catch up. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is Pascal is not some 25-year-old language. It's still developed today and as equal to VB.NET as VB.NET is to C Sharp. Anyway, I really look forward to the .NET Rocks movie. Hurry up with that. What about releasing a little trailer? Uh, we could, but we'd have to unhitch it. So, sorry, Michael. He says, uh, what I want you to say now is, of course, why obviously your English is perfect. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a wise ass. I admit it. So, you know, don't, hey, take, Carl. don't take me too seriously. What? I was I was going to say that uh, for anybody who's interested, somebody in the chat room calling himself Bob Smith, too, has given us the link to the feature matrix. And it, oh, sweet. I shrinkstered it. So it's shrinkster, shrinkster.com slash R4. So that'll give you the differences between, you know, pro and so on. Awesome. I'm definitely so going to check cool. that anyway, out. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Uh, this comes from uh, Daniel Noel. He says, hi, Carl. I enjoy the show. I would offer the usual praise, but it sounds like you're getting sick of such, such messages. No, not getting sick of them. Just trying to find, uh, trying not to bore the listener with, uh, with, you know, the same old thing. That's all. In fact, I love praise. In fact, we live on praise, right, Roy? In fact, we can't live without uh, well, your praise. I mean, basically, yeah, sure. Praise you know, and scotch. Praise and scotch. <laughs> Otherwise, what would we be doing here? Here are some topics that I would like to see covered in future shows. This is good. This is good stuff. Obfuscation. I really would like some guru advice on the world of obfuscation tools. What are the best possible tools, and what do those tools really buy a person? Perhaps this discussion could get into the details of strong naming and why we care about it. And uh, Daniel, I'd like to point you to the show that we did with Brent Rector, uh, where he talked about his demeanor obfuscator. 
and also to the second show we ever did, which was live from the Boston.net users group with Dan Appleman. And Dan was on the phone and he wrote an ebook about obfuscators, which you can get at www.desaware.com. We'll have a shrinkster URL directly to it on the website. And then even his, his obfuscator ebook actually comes with an obfuscator. Then it's 50 bucks as opposed to, you know, all the other ones. So there you go. Next one, localization. I know it is a boring topic that is not as cool as talking about splitting bits with Jeff Richter, but it has been very important for all my projects of the last few years. .NET actually did a really good job on this front. A conversation with someone from Microsoft.NET localization team might be interesting. The people behind the Doctor International book would be interesting. That's a great suggestion, localization. I, too, thought localization was kind of a boring topic, but... You know, there's a lot of stuff in .NET that makes it super, super easy. And maybe it's just that uh, I think it's boring because it's sort of been a pain in the past. So, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, boxing and unboxing. After reading several articles in MSDN Magazine, I've come to the conclusion that all the real .NET studs have a rock-solid understanding of boxing and unboxing. I don't understand all the fuss, so I have an object instead of a type. Big deal. Do I really need to care about this stuff? Yeah, that's that's good stuff to know as well. Um, so, yeah, and that goes back to value types and reference types and all that kind of stuff, converting between the two. We, yeah, we should talk some more about that. Also, .NET strings and string builder. Harp on this theme. You may have covered strings in earlier shows, but it would not hurt to talk more about the internals of the .NET strings and how best to take advantage of using strings in everyday code. You know what? You know what we should do? J-Rocks, if you're listening out there, come on the show and talk about the String Builder. He's the guy at Microsoft who actually implemented the String Builder. And the String Builder is a wonderful thing. If you haven't used it, you should. System.text.stringbuilder. I do a demo in class. Kirk, do you remember this demo we did in class with the String Builder? We went through an iteration of like 10,000 for I equals oh, yeah. 1 to 10,000. And we just appended to a string with string equals string ampersand i dot two string or something like that. I've used that several times since your class, actually. Yeah. Um, it's really easy in a couple lines of code when I wanted to just capture stream to string really, really simply. So we... Uh, I like it. Yeah, what we did is we, we did it 10,000 times, and it took like a second. Not even. And then we added a zero, 100,000. For I equals one to 100,000, and, you know, <laughs> 30 seconds go by, and we, we pause it. And see where it is in the loop, and I was only like in the thirty thousands or something. So it really takes a long time. Whereas with a string builder, it took like yeah, my hundred thousand iterations, and uh, you couldn't you know before I lift the mouse button, like milliseconds we're talking. So it's really amazing when you're appending strings and working with strings in general that are big. <coughs> yeah, we can talk about that. In fact, we kind of just did, but no, we will. We will talk with uh, talk with Jay. Uh, Patrick Vanden Driesche says, Hi, Carl and Rory. Just to keep the positive feedback coming your way, you're doing wonderful stuff. Keep them coming. I actually just finished listening to the latest DNR offline, and I got pretty scared by what Joe Stagner uh, portended. At some point, he said that SQL injection attacks were still possible through SQL parameter binding. That's pretty scary stuff. I think this calls out for clarification. Three exclamation marks. Could you please get more feedback on this from Joe and tell us about it on the next show? It's not that it is important to know how to attack, but rather how to protect ourselves, obviously, against this kind of attack. Uh, 
which, in my humble opinion, are less obvious SQL injection attacks. Hopefully we can get some feedback for the next show. Thanks for the great quality time and music. Regards, Patrick. P.S. Although maybe a bit late, I remember the Mark Miller show where Mark was complaining about the Europeans. Now, guys, didn't I ask you not to write me and complain about the show with Mark because (laughs) I didn't say anything. All right. So anyway, he says. That's so typically European. (laughs) Great. Was complaining about the Europeans (laughs) taking too much holidays. Being a European myself, I'm from Belgium, I feel kind of sorry for him. <laughs> I, I guess they didn't hire the right Europeans at Dev Express. <laughs> In my case, it's been quite a while since I've had any vacation at all. And it's kind of funny because this reminds me that each year around June, my wife comes up to me with the same question. Honey, hopefully this year you'll be able to spend some vacation time with us. Not much, just a week or so. And each year I am so deep into my programming activities quote-unquote, that I never get to that well-deserved family vacation. So there you go. And uh, this one comes from uh, a guy from Denmark named Mads, uh, who, which is Danish for Matthew. It's the Danish wor- name for Matthew, same name. He says, hello, world. Uh, element boilerplate left as an exercise slash boilerplate. <laughs> I was listening to the great show with a fast-speaking guest, Mark Miller. This is what I picked up. The tool development show is about us, the Europeans, taking too many holidays so that Mark Miller is forced to work harder, up to 12 hours a day without any holidays for more than 18 years, leading him to develop tools to boost his productivity so that he can work even harder, resulting in backache, which again (laughs) forces him to buy gizmos to help him with his ergonomic needs. Phew, I guess I need another holiday. I mean, to cope with this enormous guilt that I'm feeling. (laughs) That is awesome. So that aside, I really enjoyed hearing about Code Rush. One of the things I like about .NET is that it does such a good job helping you solve your programming problems while shielding you from cryptic technical issues. That doesn't help, but nevertheless must be overcome. Add to .NET the effectiveness of Code Rush, and you really got something that rocks. Keep up the good show. No, I really mean it. Best wishes from Denmark, Mads. And this one came from uh, Arthur Waite from the planning shop in Palo Alto. And he says, hi, Chris and Rory. (laughs) Oh, well. You guys are supposed to laugh when I laugh. <laughs> That's <was> great. <laughs> 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 that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> it just wasn't funny. Mm. <laughs> oh, I get it. He thought your name was Chris. Okay, all right. I thought it was kind of funny. All right. <laughs> <What was that>? <laughs> Prozac. <clears throat> First off, the show is wonderful. Like many of your other listeners, Woo! I downloaded DNR to my iPod. Here's a quick story about that, and I'll uh, give the URL to that. And I've been listening to it during my commutes. It's been a tremendous education for me. I'm wondering if you could do a show in the future that focuses on using Windows Forms for creating standard, non-connected desktop apps. I know it's not the main focus of .NET. Actually, it's pretty much you know, a big part of .NET. But he says, after all, Microsoft makes their money on enterprise applications, server licenses, etc., Well, okay, whatever. But I imagine that there are a fair number of us out there who are interested in the issues involved in creating disconnected standalone apps. For instance, what's the best data store to use in these situations? 
I've heard Bill Vaughn's point of view regarding Jet, but most of his criticism stems from enterprise use and multi-user use. Can or should Jet be used for standalone single desktop user apps? Uh, is deployment easier? Performance better than MSDE? And a discussion about architecture for these types of apps would be useful also. Is creating a logical end-tier architecture still worthwhile when everything from the UI to the data store runs on the same machine? And deployment. Are there no, put everything in a text box. Yeah, I think you got the answer there. And deployment. These are good questions, so though. You know, he, he honestly wants to know what's going on here. Are there special considerations for deploying desktop apps to non-enterprise users who may be running on systems of varying capabilities, speed, OS versions, etc.? If you decided to do such a show, I'm sure we could come up with more questions. Thanks again for DNR, and for whatever it's worth, let the folks at Code Magazine know that their sponsorship is working. I discovered their magazine through your show. Arthur, wait. Arthur, as it turns out, after I get, read your email today, I uh, sent... I forwarded it on to Billy Hollis and uh, Bill Vaughn and asked them if they wanted to do a show on this kind of thing, on Windows Forms, disconnected, standard apps, which, you know, looking back at it, we really haven't talked in detail about any kind of architecture or anything like that. We just sort of assume that, uh, that people know this stuff, so we haven't, we haven't touched it. So there you go. I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. And uh, they both said yes, so we're gonna we're gonna do that at some point in the future. Look for it. And uh, that that's the mail. And now it's time for the news. Now obey. So Roy got some news for us this week. I have a little bit of news, a very, 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 very small amount of news. Um, it right. was another one of those sort of slowish news weeks, but we've got one really cool thing here to make up for the total lack of news. And you saw the link that was, uh, that was sent along to us by the guy from the company. Um, the company's name is Xtreme Entertainment, and these guys have put together uh, a totally just .NET um, game. It's a real-time strategy game uh, written yeah. on C-sharp, and it's actually very cool looking. Uh, the link for that is shrinkster.com slash r3. And the game is called Arena Wars. That's shrinkster.com slash R3. And this is some pretty cool stuff. Um, I, I didn't have a chance this week to download the demo and take a look at it, but I'm going to be doing that uh, sometime this weekend. And hopefully my hard work can actually handle it. But uh, it really is a very impressive-looking project. I mean, it's miles above and beyond the typical, like, drag-and-drop-a-data-grade-onto-a-form kind of stuff that, that I've done in the past. So Yeah, I took a look at that, impressive. man. It looks very, very cool. A lot of detail. Yeah. I didn't get a chance yeah. to play it. Did you get a chance to play the demo today? No, I, I didn't get a chance to play demo, but I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. So, yeah. before too long, I'm going to give it a shot. One of the things so that's one of those things like if you're into .net and if you're into coding, you, you definitely have to take a look at it. One of the things that he said is that uh it was amazing how much support there was in the .net framework for doing this kind of thing, even though there, you know, his is supposedly like one of the first commercial games that's written in C# or it's written in .net at yeah. all. And uh, I thought that was great. He says, uh, you know, a lot of the other gaming companies take much longer to do a lot crappier stuff. So, well, yeah, uh, there's like three of these guys. There were two artists and one coder. And, that's amazing. Uh, and they got some pretty good reviews. But you know what? One of the really cool things about having um, that IRC channel out there while we're doing the show is that if somebody doesn't agree with us, they can uh, they can let us know. And somebody else says, hey, you know, no news this week. Well, what about this? So. Yeah. If you go to shrinkster.com slash R5, 
Um, you can read about Microsoft announces government shared source licenses for Office. Expansion ah. of a government security program enables greater level of cooperation, transparency, and interoperability by giving government governments access to Microsoft Office 2003 source code. So that actually is a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, that be is interesting cool. to see like what comes out of that. So that is another news item. That was awesome, man. It was uh, it was that Bob Smith too guy again who who uh, gave right. us that cool link a little earlier on. So thanks a lot, guy. And there you go. Well, our guest tonight is Richard Hale Shaw. He is the CEO of the Richard Hale Shaw Group, and he became involved with personal computers way back in 1982. He learned C in 1983 and has been hooked on computing ever since. He got his first job as a software developer in 1983 and helped to launch new versions of HyperAccess for Hillgrave Incorporated in 88 and 89. He was a contributing editor to PC Magazine and Microsoft Systems Journal, which is now MSDN Magazine, from 88 to 96, and still occasionally writes for SD Magazine and other software developer journals. It's a popular industry myth that Richard has written a book, although some of the lab books he's written for courseware may seem like books. The 450-page Com Boot Camp Labs and Slides, or the 450-page Com Plus Boot Camp Labs Slides, or the 500-page .NET Bootcamp with Labs and Slides. He, uh, Richard began speaking at conferences in 1990, and over the years he co-created the MSJ and DevWeek conferences in the UK, and the Visual C++ conference, which is now part of VS Live, where he was conference chair. He was a founding speaker at Dev Connections, and has been OS2, Windows, and Com track chair for the Software Development Conference over the years. He's presently .NET track chair for SD, where he's responsible for an agenda of 24 sessions given by approximately 10 to 12 speakers, including himself, and gives a .NET tutorial at SD. He was the first speaker to give hands-on tutorials at SD starting in 1994. In addition, Richard has been the C-Sharp Live track chair at the VS Live conference. He's a member of the INETA Speakers Bureau and has given numerous talks to .NET user groups around the U.S. And uh, now he is the CEO of his own uh, company Richard Hale Shaw, in which he does uh, training, corporate training, seminars, and workshops on .NET, XML, UML, ASP.NET, the Compact Framework. Uh, he created this developer boot camp notion of intensive hands-on training where lectures follow hands-on exercises. And uh, he's actually going to be doing his C-Sharp boot camp here at Franklin's Net. And I may add, he is one hell of a bass player and a heck of a nice guy, Richard Hale Shaw. How are you, man? Hey man, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. You're uh, you moved recently to uh, the Boston area from Ann Arbor, did you not? That is correct. After uh, 15 years in Ann Arbor, I, I'm now an East Coast person. So what what prompted that? My lovely wife uh, took a new job that um, she's now director of uh, psychology at Cambridge Hospital uh, here in the Boston area. Oh, that's and great. So I just kind of moved my headquarters uh, along with her. That's great. Well, it's it's good that you're in the area now because you know we we'll get to uh, do some things together. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so that's quite a uh, quite a laundry list of qualifications there and things that you that you do. And um, I can't remember. Do we agree? I was going to give you twenty dollars for reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there's one part of one little tiny inaccuracy I just noticed there. I need to update whatever you were reading from. I, I'm not the .NET track chair at Software Development. 
uh, oh, okay. anymore, but I'm still involved there. Okay. But, yeah, that uh, was on your website, actually. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, you know, that's the problem with websites. I know, yeah. <laughs> they should just know what you're doing and update themselves, shouldn't they? And why hasn't somebody just invented that technology? I don't know. <laughs> we would do it, but we're too busy teaching. <laughs> yeah, right. We're too busy helping the people who are supposed to be building that technology. Right. I had an interesting .NET experience just before the show started today. Okay. Shall I share it with you? Yeah. yeah. This is not on the, uh, for the listeners, Carl makes you fill out this rigorous 10-page form full of details of things that he can draw from for the uh, uh, event, <laughs> of the, for, the, for the show. See, so uh, this is not on the 10-page form. That's a lie. Um, I, um, I, I actually teach, I'm teaching a class in Ann Arbor next week, and so I needed cool. to, to get our materials off to print. And mm-hmm. the usual thing, you know, being a small business person, um, I send them to uh, my local, you know, uh, print division called Kinko's Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I usually just will, uh, you know, attach the file, send them, place the order and stuff like that. Only a while back, for some reason, Kinko's started blocking mail from our domain, so we have to go huh. through this bizarre uh, website, they, at least they used to have. I, have. I don't know if it's still there uh, to upload things. But I went to do that tonight, and of course it's no longer just Kinko's. It's FedEx Kinko's. Now, oh. I've always had my little gripes about um, the way Kinko's is run. I think there's a lot of good people there, but I think upper management didn't know diddly about a lot of things and uh, was always way behind the technology curve. FedEx, on the other hand, and I'm not on the payroll of any of these companies, so <laughs> I'm just going to talk my mind. Um, FedEx, on the other hand, has always struck me as somebody who's way out there on the curve and really trying to look for ways to get some mileage out of the technology. So uh, I noticed I was going to upload these files through their web interface, and they said they have something you can download and run. Hmm. Going, oh, well, that's interesting, a little little smart client here, you know. And uh, I thought, why, why not? I'll try it. So I bring it down, and I start to install it, and it pops up and says, Oh, you'll have to shut down a number of things that you have running, including all these office applications. That Ouch. wait a second. I know what the heck they're doing here. This is the one this is a framework app. You know, huh. it's gonna run inside of Office uh, two thousand three. Interesting. You know, I, I wonder if Microsoft even knows these guys have done this thing. Um, so I shut down Office, I finished the install, yada yada yada. Um, and a smart client, there's a button that shows up now in Outlook, and there's a menu item wow. in PowerPoint, stuff like that. Wow. And uh, it brings up a smart client. It lets me configure the order, you know, uh, how many copies, I want it double-sided, da-da-da, all this stuff. It used to be really, um, really uh, fairly uh, annoying to have to do. Yeah, they had their website. Kinko's file prep tool or something like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was god-awful. This is really, really clean, really neat, lets you... Uh, you got to say which Kinkos it's going to. Um, Bing, it goes out and pulls down, probably through a web service, a whole bunch of stuff about the Kinkos in the area uh, that I'm going to. Uh, pick the Kinkos out. It fills all that information in. That's so cool. Very slick. I got all the way through. And by the way, if anybody tries this, um, set your default print options before you run the tool because huh. it's just going to go with your default print settings for the document. Oh. But anyway, I got all the way through. And... <laughs> It says my account number is invalid. Oh, God. That's I don't think it is because we use it all the time. I think there is something that they didn't quite get, or maybe there's a special account number I'm supposed to have to use the smart client. I don't know. It's but I applaud 
whoever at FedEx Kinko's took the initiative to do something right with this thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just running on the framework. It's just a, you know, a managed app. It's very cool. That is very cool. Hey, Richard, do you know Rory? Do I know Rory? Yeah, have you met him? I've never actually met Rory. Oh, I've meet Rory. I've countless times his, uh, his, his jibes and wit. Yes, he is that. Hmm. <laughs> Richard, meet Rory. Rory, meet Richard. Rory, how are you, man? Hi, Richard. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Well, that's good. Um, you're welcome. You just started listening to the show recently, right? Yes, I am. I am unfortunately, um, you know, um, a little out of the loop sometimes on all the uh, the inside .NET Rocks uh, humor that I'm sure the regular listeners are familiar with. I've been, <laughs> Such been as it is, covering yeah. a few times, but not often. You were actually in the chat room during the Charles Petzold show. That was cool. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yeah, you were asking him questions. Charles Charles is a great guy, and he's got unbelievable stories to tell. Um, and he and I go back um, to maybe 1987. He was kind enough when he was already like a, a big established personality at PC Magazine, kind enough to kind of help me, you know, kind of show me the ropes and stuff when I was first getting started yeah. writing there. And I think he did a lot of that for a lot of other people as well. Just a terrific guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, I was very, very honored to meet him and uh, very uh, surprised at just how much of a regular you know, normal guy. He very nice and friendly person. He is very you know, approachable. I, it didn't even cross my mind to ask about uh, to get you to ask him about music because uh, uh, rumor has it that the um, some of the big Windows books that he wrote were all written uh, with Wagner uh, in the background. It was like you know, wow. finish a Windows book, put on the ring cycle. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the guy, the guy actually is um, to a certain degree a Wagner aficionado. Wow. That's not an easy thing to be. <laughs> no, it's not easy at all. In I 2004, mean, anyway. Yeah. That's some heavy stuff. Yeah. I actually sat through the ring cycle once. Really? Yeah. That's some heavy stuff, just that the, the, you, you sat through it. Well, I didn't see it uh, in person. I did see it on, on TV, but I did watch it. Mm. And mm. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it's musical literature. You know? Yeah, you sort of have to know the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was I was a little bit unsure of the story. I mean, I had read some of it before, but I didn't know it everything, so I was a little yeah, lost. But it was, it was an interesting idea. I mean, it was an interesting experience. So, uh, so what have you been? What's on your mind lately about .NET? I mean, you've obviously been doing it since 1.0, and you know, doing it a long time. You teach it all the time. What's uh, what? What are you thinking about these days? Well, um, I'm doing a lot with with patterns. Um, uh, and practices. Um, I do. Um, I, I, my my site might not reflect it as well, but I actually do a lot of uh, mentoring and consulting as, as well as training. And um, what I find interesting is how many times um, uh, you know you find a bunch of .NET developers who are writing the same kind of code again and again. Um, that's one thing we want to be able to find better ways to not have to explicitly repeat things and be able to conceptually repeat things, building blocks, so to speak. But I guess another dimension of it is uh, finding the best way to do those things. So that, that becomes, I think, um, really important as well. And yeah. I've just 
found it you know interesting to ha- to start identifying best practices for .NET development, um, and which one of these practices becomes patterns. Now, the the pattern purists out there will freak at my view of patterns because they um, they they might either think that patterns are strictly the domain of design patterns, and they're not, um, or they might think that um, uh, patterns are um, strictly require the full and formal definition like the ones that were used with the design patterns in the Ganga 4 book. Yeah. And I don't actually uh, buy that. Um, there is a general accepted viewpoint in the patterns community, at least in some part of the patterns community today, that says that a, a pattern is a, uh, a best practice in formal clothes. I think actually that particular description that's, of that's it... That's pretty good. Uh, I wish I could say I, I said that I think the first time I heard it was from Martin Shoemaker, a uh, guy who works with me, um, and who is, by the way, I'm going to give him a free plug if I can, the author of a wonderful tool called Tablet UML that only runs on tablet PCs, but as he calls it, it's the UML tool you don't have to learn. Interesting. Just draw, and it creates the diagram. very slick. That is, that but uh, is, that, Martin, that I think, intriguing. said that to me. Um, first way uh, I ever heard that described. Um, and I think it's a good guideline that at a certain point, I was giving a talk at the Software Development Conference here in, in Boston this week and um, uh, talking about the same thing, that uh, uh, once you identify a best practice, if you come up with a rigorous enough definition, not necessarily the full definition like they use in the Gang of Four book, but still a fairly rigorous definition for a practice, I can think of it becoming a pattern. Or another case would be if you had a series or uh, several practices that you orchestrate together in specific ways uh, and reuse that particular orchestration, I see that as, as a pattern as well. Uh, because the, the whole point of patterns is to create a common vocabulary. This is the case yeah. with design patterns, but it's the case in other areas, deployment patterns and my particular interest, implementation patterns. I'll give the, uh, I'll give the listeners a, a, a value of patterns in reading about them and understanding sure. them. A guy came to me just recently with a, a problem with a cache object in ASP.NET, and uh, he basically was trying to get an event on the cache object. Yeah, and the problem yeah. with that is that the cache object is, you know, a shared, a static thing. So it's uh, shared among all the sessions. And where do, where do you handle the event, right? Right. So I said, well, what you really got to do is make a singleton object. And he goes, what's that? And I said, well, that's a, that's a pattern where you hide the constructor and you have like a get instance method that uh, if the instance doesn't exist, you create yourself and you return a reference. And if it does exist, you just return the reference. So, so anytime you refer to it, there's always one instance and that's it. Right. <clears throat> and that's a perfect place to, to capture an event like that. So he goes, well, let me check it out. So I just coded it up for him. Boom, bing, bam. Worked fine. But, you know, the reason that I know that is because I read a book on patterns, and that happened to be the very first pattern they talked about in the book. Right, right. So, yeah. And that's, I, a, that's a classic design pattern, a uh, classic design pattern. And the beauty of that is the common vocabulary, because once somebody learns what singleton means, then right. in an architecture you can say, well, we need to have a singleton here. You point at the chart, whatever. And all the parties who understand that definition know what that means. You don't have to go through and explain the... Uh, the qualities of it, like the hidden constructor and the uh, factory method or right. whatever that, that yeah. creates uh, the object. And that's another pattern, by the way, of course, uh, 
factory. Right, the factory. Hey, Rory, when you worked for that big company down here in uh, southeastern Connecticut, you said they were um, uh, a little bit challenged on, on doing things the right way. Did you see a lot of places where if they had known, you know, the design patterns, they could have uh, could have benefited from that? Um, I have to be honest. This was one of those times where uh, it didn't seem to me that like a design pattern was going to be the sort of thing that was going to was going to help them out, right? Because they were they were all pretty new to .NET, and they had a bit of work to do before they would really even be at the level where implementing design patterns in their code would really be all that helpful. It's it's almost that it was a little bit too academic for the kind of stuff they were doing, which was very day to day, has to be done like right now kind of stuff. They really didn't have time to even stop and think about how it was that they were supposed to be doing things. They just had to code. Wow. So it it was uh, it was one of those things. Eventually, yeah, I'm sure that that it would have gone over pretty well, and they definitely were in need of some sort of consistency. Consistency is kind of what was lacking. Mm. But uh, but yeah, it's it's it was it was a tough situation. A tough. Do you scenario. see that it in would other? Not have been easy to get going. Do you see that in other? Because uh, I see it all the time in in projects where people want help. It's like they're discovering what they think is the pattern, but they they're they're coming to it from you know just a logical point of view. They don't. They don't have it in their back pocket ready to implement. You know, I see that all the time. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, yeah, I've, I've seen that as well, but I've also seen it taken way too far where instead oh, yeah. of not implementing patterns at all, you have people who like reach for, you know, a Fowler book every single time they want to solve a problem, whether, whether it's some sort of an abstract design issue or it's like, right. how am I going to, you know, add two and two, right? So there's, there's a comfortable medium that I've, I've never seen a comfortable medium. I've always seen people. Um, on either side of the fence. What do you think about that, Richard? Over-architecture? Is that a big problem that you see? I haven't seen that very often, but I have seen it before. Um, I, and I think it, it, um, it's, uh, it's the same mentality that um, says that, um, well, here's one for you. That you always well, it's, it, it's, like, it's like the let's solve every problem with XML mindset. Yeah, no, I got one for you. Let's, True. Let's all use Hungarian notation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. give me a break. When was it invented? Why was it invented? And is it still valid today? You know, this is a good... I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, in the .NET design guide, it says Hungarian notation is out. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in not using Hungarians for, you know, your, your, your intrinsic sort of data types. But, you know, you can't tell that it... When you, when you, you can't tell me that it doesn't help when you type... Uh, you know, me dot to see all the objects on your in your component and all the data adapters start with DA or SDA that you can find them all in the same place. It does help, especially when you have all these great big long object names. Some of you know, like everything in the ADO net starts with data. Mm-hmm. You know, do you really want to see like you know customer data adapter, this data adapter? They're going to be all over the place. So you know, there there is some benefit to using that. I just don't use them for. I don't use like I and S any you know anymore. Right, right, strange. and and I I don't have a problem with uh, encoding uh, some knowledge into the um, the method names, the variable names, uh, class names, etc. Um, yeah. But it was the idea of trying to compress it down to a handful of characters, um, and a lot of that stems from the fact that the C compilers. You got to remember that Charles Simonia, who wrote Microsoft Word, was the Hungarian that the, the term refers to. What was his name? This notation. Using a C compiler, a lot of the C compilers didn't support more than eight character variable names then. What was his name? Well, I may be mispronouncing it. I believe it's Simone. Okay. But he, yeah, he, was, he was one of the guys who he invented this word processor, 
I believe the story goes, and Petzold actually probably would know the right story here, but he invented this word processor, and I think Microsoft brought him in, um, and um, and uh, he retired, I don't know, some time ago, I think, with a gazillion dollars in stock, but uh, well-earned. But, uh, um, yeah, he invented it, that notation as a way of making it easier to... Uh, to code, but it was in, in the world of C. Another difference is you didn't have objects, so there's no connection between data you'd have floating, floating around with methods. Richard Campbell is saying Charles Simonier. He's That's the guy the correct who. correct spelling. I'm, I see it in the window there. Yeah, he's the guy I don't know if that, I pronounce I might have butchered Charles's name. Okay. And it's par for the course on this show. <laughs> it's so hard. It's difficult. It, the idea of, of, of trying to add some value to your. Um, Variable names. I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah. But now we can do it in 256 characters if you need to. So you have this co- uh, concept of anti-patterns and anti-practices. What's that all about? Well, in classic um, uh, pattern speak, um, if you have um, if a pattern is a best practice in formal clothes, all right. A best practice. What's a best practice? A best practice is a particular technique that produces a particular result. And use that as an alternative to other techniques that can produce that result because this particular technique does it the best possible way. It's the best practice. Right. So the best way to do something. And an anti-practice would be something you really don't want to do. And an anti-pattern would be a, a, a pattern you really, really don't want to pursue. Is it that you don't want to pursue or you don't understand it or you don't know how or you just don't care? Anti-pattern is, is, is the antichrist of coding. It's, you don't want to go there. It's evil. It's Darth Vader. So you don't want to learn patterns? Is that it? Or you, you want to learn what an anti-pattern is to avoid it. No, no, no. I'm um, saying you want if, to learn, ideally, a comparable pattern that's associated with it, so you pursue that. I'm saying if you are an anti-pattern person, <laughs> you, your goal is to avoid patterns at all costs and just write everything from your brain... Plop, there it is. Is that? Um, the... are, are we talking about particular anti-pattern persons? Are we going to go there? No, not necessarily. <laughs> you can if you like to. I mean, it's your career, you know. It's just, <laughs> just the catalyst. I, I wasn't even thinking of particular personalities. I was thinking of, of kind of a, a mindset. Oh, okay, sure. You yeah. know, uh, well, I, and sometimes in my my talks, and there are a few people out here who've heard me say this stuff over the years, so they really, really just you know get real tired of it. So I won't. I've never, it. I've never heard but, it. But I, I have, have picked on VB6 and its predecessors as the classic anti-pattern. Yeah. Um, because, um, and partly because I think it got an unbelievable amount of unfair, um, positive publicity that completely overlooked all of its deficiencies. And thank mm-hmm. goodness VB people have a real, first-class, object-oriented, type-safe development language. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The problem is... Uh, you know, you go down the list. BB6 is not reusable. It's, there's no OO. Um, uh, the biggest the problem with VB copy and paste. All that does is propagate bugs. Anybody yeah, who you can get it. reusability out of BB6 needs to be hung out to dry somewhere. That's it. It's just so easy to make a really bad application. That's that's the yeah, problem. It encourages a lot of bad practices. Yeah. Um, and if it didn't get so much, you know, for so long. 
uh, a lot of folks at Microsoft. So I'm sure we're meant well. Let's give them a bone. I, I, want, I don't. Before we move on, I just want to say this because this yeah. is really interesting to me. Yeah, it's sort ahead. of like a double-edged sword. You can't have one. You can't have it both ways. Like it couldn't be the popular language that it is or that it became if it wasn't encouraging bad pad because the you know the majority of the people who used VB weren't going to go learn a VBnet, weren't going to learn, you know, C++. That's why they're using it, because it's easy. Mm-hmm. So the reason for its popularity, the reason you could say the reason we have VBnet is because of VB6's popularity. The reason it's popular is because it sucks so bad. Right. <laughs> it, it lowered the bar right. for a lot of people to get in and do development on Windows with very little or no knowledge but about that's, what had to be done. But that said... And I'm sorry for hogging the time here. I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. It's sort of near and dear to my heart, right? That yeah. said, if you were smart and you knew how to take advantage of it and you knew how to design things well, you could do some good stuff. Yes, you in could. You had to be, really, you really, had to really apply a lot of best practices. Right, yeah, and that's Guys the thing. like Dan Appleman. Dan Appleman, perfect example. Yeah, yeah. Have, have really uh, shown that best practices are the right thing because you had uh, a tool that would, would really do serious damage to you if you weren't careful. Right. But if you follow the best practices, it was possible to build uh, you know, fairly complex applications that, I guess, to a certain degree scale. But now, yeah. I don't know how, how really maintainable they are in the long run because all I hear are these stories right. about people with very large VB6 apps that you know, the best thing to do now is try as much as possible to move in VB.net. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you for uh, indulging me there. I, I, I'm not sure where we went on the... Um, so anti-patterns, anti-practices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's, um, well, here's a, a, a small example that I, I sometimes give. Um, in ADO.net, you've got a data row object with an over... Uh, in C-sharp, it's an overloaded index, or in the rest of the world, it's an item property that takes either an integer or a string to retrieve a particular column or field from that row, right? Yeah. So you see, and same thing, by the way, using the um, session and application objects in ASP.NET, there's an overloaded indexer in C-sharp, it's mm-hmm. an item property elsewhere, but you can pass in a string to identify things you've put into or, or to get back out of um, uh, the session or application object. Right. Now, the problem with using those strings, and you see this, incredibly, in so many examples. The problem with using those strings is that the strings themselves are type-safe, but the contents can't be checked by the compiler. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to retrieve a first-name field, and you accidentally think of a senator from Tennessee and type first name instead of first name, because right. you just transpose two letters, and I'm a little I see it uh, all the time. dyslexic, so I do this, then you could create a subtle bug that you know would blow up at runtime, and you would have no idea without a lot of stepping through code and looking at those strings carefully um, what you'd actually done wrong. If you had a lot of code that repeatedly modified that field in that object and you typed the string the wrong way. So an anti-practice there is using the actual static string. The best practice would be to define a constant string variable. Or an enum. Right? And use those guys because... Uh, it's a higher likelihood you're going to put the right thing in. If you do put in, if you make that a practice uh, of putting in uh, constant string variables or enums, the advantage of that approach is that uh, the worst-case scenario is you put in the wrong string or enum 
but it's going to be much easier to identify what happened there. But it won't be a subtle mistype, a mistyping of the contents of a string. It'll be throughout. Right. So that's that's a simple example and of as you, uh, best and, practice. And as you said, the you know the, what happens is like if you access a table by by the wrong name, it just returns nothing. Doesn't throw an exception. Doesn't tell you, you know. Right. I see that all the time in my in in teaching that somebody will type customer <laughs> instead of customer, you know, and I can't get this thing to work, and it's always a typo, you know, and they're, they're now, hard I to find. I have a much larger example of a best of a of a of a pattern implementation pattern okay. that I can suggest, but I don't know what the time frame is. It'll uh, it might take a few minutes to explain it. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so. The example I just gave, somebody might say, well, gee, what's the big deal uh, if I only access the field one time? But I, I tried to qualify it in there and say, what if you had a bunch of code that was peppered with accessing a whole bunch of fields and columns in the same data row object? Um, that's where you can get in trouble. Let's take the session object or application object in ASP.NET. The tendency for a lot of developers is stuff a bunch of different things into the session object. You need something stored uh, in between postbacks to the server. So you put something into the session object, and uh, assuming that we don't time out, when the next postback occurs, it can retrieve that thing back out again. So we tend to, um, you know, use strings to identify mm. guys. Mm -hmm. And the problem there um, is that the session object is shared throughout the session across all of your pages. Right. And the application object is shared throughout all the sessions with that application. I mean, it's really going across all those right. um, uh, instances of that um, application. And if you have a lot of discrete little pieces of information that you need to store, let's say a shopping cart or something like that you're doing, then the tendency would be to put a lot of different little items into session state. Yeah. And that means that every time you need to modify one of those, let's say all you're doing is storing an integer value, you've got to pull it out, you've got to modify it, you've got to put it back in again. Well, when you pull it out, you're using the string. When you put it back in, you're using the string. When you initialized it in the first place, you're using the string. When you're checking to see if it's already in there or not, you're using the string. And that's just, you know, again, rampant possibility of typos. And another problem with this is that the session object, uh, compounds things, session object is just a collection of object handles so you can put anything in there. It's a Fibber McGee's closet. Yeah. Um, it's it's the problem is there's no real uh, type safety mechanism because the session object, unless they ever redefine it right. uh, using generics, the session or or some way like that, the session object is strictly just object handles. You can put anything in there. Right. What you want is a cleaner type safe way of getting things in and out. And what you don't want to do is collide in your page with somebody else's use of the same identifier in a different page of the same application. True. Okay. What I always end up doing, Richard, and it doesn't solve all the problems, but I end up creating the little OBJ as object equals session whatever, and if it returns nothing, I know it's not in there. Right. Yeah, that's just one thing I end up doing all the time yeah, when I'm yeah. accessing sessions. It shouldn't be that difficult. Things like that become um, a best practice. Now, yeah. here's a pattern that I use to solve this problem. Okay. I create a class. And now, I, I should warn you, I'm a middle-tier guy. I'm not a web guy. Okay. I saw this session object, and I thought, oh, so that's how we keep persistence during the session back on the server. And then as I started to use it, I went, man, does the design of this thing stink because of all these potential um, right. collision things. things. Yeah. So um, 
My solution is, as a military guy, I created a class, or I create a class to solve this problem whenever I need to. And the class has a um, public property for every single bit of information I separately want to store in session state. So inside the class, I've got um, a private field or data member that represent that little item. Let's say I've got two ints, three strings, one long, blah, 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 blah. Each one of those would be a separate data member in this class and then have a, a public property wrapper around those data members so that I get and set them through the property. Okay? Okay. What I'm going to end up doing is storing, and only this, storing an, a handle to a singleton instance hmm. of that class hmm. in the session state. Hmm. And to guarantee the singletonness, that's a real word, Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. then I, I have a private constructor, just like you talked about yeah. earlier, and I have a factory... Uh, method, a static method that's public, and the only way you can create an instance of the class is by using the static method. Right. And the static method requires a, a handle to the session object. So you call it at the beginning of your page load. Mm. You pass in the session object to the static method. It will interrogate the session object and see if you're, an instance of your class is already in there. And if it is, it returns it. If it's not, it creates it, puts it in there, and then returns that one. Hmm. The only other That's thing we've got to do is make sure nobody uses an identifier for this class again, right? Seems like an awful lot of code to do just to use the session correctly. You know, it's well, you actually, fix those it's, things. it's not a lot of work. You, the, the last part of this that I was talking about, okay. you put in a static private string that is that, whose contents is a GUID, and you use that in your factory method to manage... Uh, the identification of an instance of this class. Now, the nice thing is the class could be put in a library and used across all the pages of the application if you need to. So everybody could use it. Do you have? Do, are you able to um, create a, a new page that derives from the ASP.NET page and sort of just implement that stuff automatically by somehow overriding the session object? Can you do that? that I think I tried that once. I ran into some issue with it. I don't remember what it was. And uh, this was a solution that I came up with to just you know, get the job done. It's yeah. actually, this technique is used in several pages of our site uh, because I didn't want to have all this session goo all over the place. Yeah. And so what happens is every page load that needs it just calls the one method and gets back a handle of the object, and we use the object throughout the rest of the page to access the items through, their, through those properties. So it becomes really, really clean code. There's no use of session and then, you know, the item property or the indexer with all sorts of different strings. None of that stuff. It doesn't even show up. That's cool. Transparent. That's pretty cool. Now, that's a pattern because it's, it's way too complicated, in my opinion, to call it a best practice. Plus, is once you've explained it, somebody understands the point. And, and I haven't put a name on it, so I guess I need to do that. Um, you can call it the, the Shaw Sessionator or something <laughs> like that if you want. I don't care. <laughs> but, but the point is... Um, uh, once everybody knows what it is, then you say, solve that problem here, it becomes a pattern. It's a vocabulary. Sweet. Richard, what do you think of the uh, the uh, Patents and Practices Group website? My turn, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of that stuff is pretty cool. Um, I, I mostly applaud the fact that Microsoft is actually expending a lot of resources uh, on the entire effort. Um, some of it I've thought, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a little over the top, but I, in general, I like what they're doing, and I think a lot of the guys who are uh, writing that material know, know what they're talking about. 
I think they have uh, a lot of, lot of ideas as to, to how to solve particular problems, and they're trying to, to, um, to create patterns for solving these problems that are, are, are really well thought out. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of them have clearly done their homework in studying patterns work that's going on elsewhere in the universe, not just in the Microsoft field, because, you know, it's, it's a big topic elsewhere, and you've got... Um, uh, not just the, the gang of four, but you've got people like uh, Martin Fowler, who, by the way, lives right up the road here in, in the Boston area, um, doing a lot of work uh, contributing to the patterns community. And, and people who work with him at his firm, I think, have helped contribute to some of that material behind the scenes. Yeah, that's so very... I think, they, um, I think they've done a really good job. Um, that's very... That. Somebody in the chat room just said Patterns and Practices was a book that came out in 95. I think they're referring to the design patterns book yeah. um, that came out from the Gang of Four. And Gang of Four. True, it's not a Microsoft thing, but it's, that's not the title uh, of the person who wrote that. Well, Richard, I, w- I want to talk some more about the uh, the patterns up there. Uh, but first, we have to, uh, we're going to do a, a segment here called The Weird Wide Web. Okay. And then we're going to break, play a little music, and we'll come back on the other side of the hour. So stick around, guys. And now here with the Weird Wide websites for the week is our friend Kirk Webb with the Weird Wide Web. Utterly amazing. Horrible. Mr. Kirk Webb, how you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. You know, while I got you here on the microphone, we should uh, we should tell everybody about this thing you found with uh, Service Pack One for Dynamic One Point One. You're right. Um, actually, there's a lot of uh, stuff that a lot of people are blaming on it right now, but I'm not really sure what stuff is true and what's not. Only the thing that I found is that using validation controls uh, that are run on the client side, if you yeah. put Service Pack One uh, for Framework One Point One, it seems that it copies over the JavaScript files that are in the framework directory. And See, you, now uh, I knew ASP. you shouldn't have said that because now they're coming for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it... It, um, it is a serious problem, though, seriously. It, it, we haven't heard back from Microsoft yet yeah. about it. So so there appears to be some issues. There's a, there's a way to, to circumvent it. You can turn off uh, all client-side scripting. <laughs> oh, there you go. Great. Um, or... Uh, Cut off your hands. Cut off your hands, or what was Rory's? Um, that was Rory's solution. Last, to <laughs> cut off germ, your hands, or uh, to germ management. Start taking out. I was just thinking about just deleting those <laughs> ASPX files that actually have yeah. client side validation. Just get we'll rid of them we'll put up a link to it uh, to the to the discussion about it that you sent me. I have it. It's it's. There's a lot more to it, and uh, that's the only okay. thing that's really affected us so far has been the client side scripting. It's just just completely hosed. So, so shifting gears, what uh, weird wide websites have you found this week? Well, you know, I'm having trouble getting great ones that a don't offend sick 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 anyone, and <laughs> as well as well as uh, ones that are um, really you know honestly truthfully weird where people yeah. actually take them so seriously. So I've actually an offshoot is I think I'm going to have a couple sites that I think that are spoofs that are but so well done that they they yeah. deserve mentioning. Sure. So the first one I have this week is uh, shrinkster.com forward slash qy. Uh, that's uh, Quebec uh, yellow, I guess. Okay. I'm, I'm horrible at that. Sure, I was in the Navy. Sure. <laughs> and it's called petsorfood.com. You can either buy a pet or <laughs> buy some food. Uh, either way, 
And it's actually very well done. This checkout, there's <laughs> or food. It's great. My I think some of my favorite is is the uh, hamsters because you can get them for nine ninety nine live or twenty nine ninety five ready to eat sold in packs of twelve. That's <laughs> <laughs> really great. Mammal side, uh, the recipes though are they're they're oh man, this is great. The um, baby seal, that's really of good. Of course, parakeet <laughs> a la king, Dijon rack of Doberman, sweet and sour koala loaf. <laughs> Kitten, no, this is great. Kitten livers with orange marmalade. <laughs> Citrus buttered king snake. Mm. You know, see, I, that, to be honest with you, tastes like chicken. Probably is not bad. But they have, like, the mammals tab, the reptiles tab, birds, right. and exotics. Exotics, yeah, the Afghan hound. <laughs> American bald eagle. Ouch, ouch, ouch. That one's a little high pricey. That's like 4300 Oh, that's, that's disgusting. That's an acquired taste. The Austrian sheepdog has a picture of like carcasses hanging yeah, up. That's I don't, pretty disgusting. I, I think they're probably <laughs> I like this something option. else though. The option is great live or pet ready to eat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> However you want. It's great. Shipping. Uh, That's oh my good. God. Jobs, there's career opportunities. Hey, maybe they need a programmer because I'd, I'd be all over it. Cat <laughs> wrangler is their job title they need. Right? We need a cat wrangler to work here for us. <laughs> pretty That's, awesome. That's great. All right, so that one's that. Cool. Next one, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but being out of the cubicle world loop, uh, Carl, I don't know if you get a chance to, to see some of these that pass around. This came around actually about a month or so ago for me. I probably was late. This is shrinkster.com forward slash QZ, and it is – you geeks will love this – telling the difference between a programming language creator and a serial killer. This kind of like <laughs> gives me the images of all those rocks books <laughs> with all those guys' faces on them. It's, it's a it's – a, it's a game. You go through. You have to guess. Is it a programming language inventor or a serial killer? I, I've never scored above – and I've taken this like several times and I have a – I guess I have a pretty bad memory. But I've never scored above like you know 60% on this thing. Can you tell a coder from a cannibal? <laughs> Try to work out which of the following spent their time hacking computers and which preferred hacking away at corpses instead. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's bad. So, but I thought it was fitting. I have to take that quiz on my own time. Yeah, I thought it was fitting. And, That's cool. Uh, pretty sweet so that one's pretty weird and uh this one though is this is uh, another weird slash spoof but this guy's taking himself pretty seriously it's pretty funny shrinkshire.com forward slash r1 that's radio one it's the third nipple (laughs) how do you know if you have a third nipple third nipple statistics how to identify a potential third nipple is my favorite because down at the bottom of that is is how to identify a potential third nipple is view the slides Oh, God. And this one is a nipple. This one here is just actually a giant blackhead. They're illustrations. They're not pictures. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're animated. I'm not animated. They're illustrated. You're right. <laughs> this one's a nipple. This one here is actually a pus-filled scab. Oh, jeez. And then you get more onto it. This one's a, you know, um, this, one, this one's actually an extra head. And nope, that's actually a toe. We're sorry. <laughs> but it's great. Extra nipples and dating. What do you do? Oh. Perhaps the biggest cause of low self-esteam on the third, third – triple nipplers is what they're called. <laughs> it's a matter of dating. Uh, anyway. Caring for your extra nipple. Like <laughs> they, do they have that? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have a, a, a chart with problems, animals, and solutions dealing with savage nipples. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. That's good. Yeah, th- we could go on for days about this. Using using your triple Send nipple. Send those complaints to Kirkwood. <laughs> uh, using your triple nipple for social and career advancement. <laughs> hey. <laughs> By the way, if you do have a uh, 
a weird wide website to send to Kirk. Send it to weird at franklins.net. Weird at franklins.net. Yeah, it would be very helpful. These, um, they're fun. Uh, try not to offend uh, everyone. Yeah. But, we, don't, um, we don't want some people out there getting upset. Because, you know, you are the president of the .NET Rocks Ethics Committee. And right. you have to behave appropriately. <laughs> and behave well. All right. Well, thank you. And again, uh, thank you. Thank you. Doctor. <laughs> Utterly amazing. Horrible. <laughs> Too much, too much. Oh, they're, they're already starting to send them, and they're already I know. bad. Before we do the uh, announcements and the advertisements for the uh, middle section of the show, we have some new music. We do. Rory, you've been busy. I have. Um, so I put together a nice little thingy. Um, the recording itself isn't so hot, but uh, I'm happy with the song. So. And is this something you did by yourself, or was this a, uh, a collaboration? Or? Uh, this, this was by myself. I wrote and recorded the thing in five hours, and... Uh, it shows. Excellent. And this is called Sway by Rory Blythe. Yeah. New music.
Hey, this is Carl. Carl Franklin here. Talking about datadynamicsactorreports.net. I was just talking to some people in my class this week who were looking for a reporting solution and uh, told them about actorreports.net. They looked into it during the class, checked it out, approved it, bought it. It was perfect. Basically, the whole idea is they <clears throat> had some uh, pages that they wanted to produce some reports right there, you know, and uh, they didn't need uh, enterprise-level access to these reports, didn't need a reporting server, didn't need to spend a lot of money, didn't need a SQL server, anything like that. Just wanted to create a report, show it in PDF or HTML with a nice report writer that you can use right in the .NET environment. It's good stuff. Works great. All my friends use it. I use it. Check it out. www.datadynamics.com. That's activereports.net. Richard Hale Shaw is doing his uh, C-Sharp boot camp, the extended version, right here. The week of the first one is the week of October 19th. Second one is the week of November 29th. And uh, five days, 12 hours a day, homework, C-Sharp until it hurts. That's what we're talking about here. Right in New London, Connecticut. It's an hour from everything. Two hours from New York, two hours from Boston, an hour from Long Island on the ferry. Hour from Hartford, hour from Providence, hour from New Haven. And uh, if you want to fly in, we have an international airport right here. We're 45 minutes down the road, right off the highway. I'm telling you. Check it out, www.franklins.net. Well, that was a very cool song, Rory. Uh, and I know that uh, that's not just like some lyric that you just pulled out of a book somewhere. I know that uh, with what's going on in your life now that that was very heartfelt. So I, I feel for you, man. Well, yeah, I don't I don't actually pick any of my lyrics out of a book. Everything means something. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, messy stuff. But, yep. But it's a good good song, and I like it. And uh, so, Rory, we actually found a theme song for Ask Rory. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, it goes something like this. It's, you know, we didn't write it, but... And it's time for Ask Rory. That's right. Ask Rory all about your... Your personal life, your problems with code or your girlfriend or relationships, your boyfriend for that matter, doesn't matter. Anything at all that's on your mind, send your emails to Rory at Neopolian.com and he will answer them. And uh, as a testament to that fact, here he is, Rory Blythe. Okay. All right, man. That's a, that's a pretty sick and twisted uh, 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 th- song there. Okay. So yeah. 
I've got a, I've got a couple letters this week. Um, the first one is from a guy named Mark Dryden. He says, hey, guys, I love the show, yada, yada, yada. Currently going through the back catalog, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, two things. So he says, uh, he says, for Rory's Ask Rory Slot, I need a bit of advice. So here's, here's, here's what he's got going on here. Rory, I hired an escort girl for the night. We seemed to get along quite well. I took her out to a fancy restaurant, wined and dined her. We both got a little drunk and, well, one thing led to another. And, hey, you know the rest. Anyway, I've eaten her hands, face, and teeth. But <laughs> what do I do with the body? Down the waste nice. disposal again? Or under the patio? <laughs> Bathtub, gallons of acid. Works every time. So, oh, so what I have to say is, um, actually, the the disposal and the patio are both a big mistake. Uh, what you really want to do, um, I mean, like that's the kind of thing you do if you were just simply like an everyday mass murderer. But you're obviously a cannibal. And what I would recommend it is, I go get some sandwich bags, probably, and I would take the smaller bits of meat, put them into the sandwich bags, cut up anything that doesn't fit, and just take it home, put it in the fri- <laughs> freezer, and uh, and whenever you got like a nice sunny day down at the park, you can make some sandwiches or whatever, something like that, right? You don't have to just throw this stuff away. I mean, don't let everything just go to waste. You know, I understand we live in America and we are kind of like in a throwaway society, but I mean, you know, think about the environment, right? So, you sick fuck. I've been there, man. I've been there. All right. So, uh, oh, good Lord. So, we got another one here, and this one, uh, she is long, this one. Um, That's okay. I'm going to try to get through it. All right. So here we go. So this is from Roy Ogborn at Orbonix.com, O-R-B-O-N-Y-X.com. I don't know if that's his site or, or anything like that. You know, it's just, it's just something here that, you know, it's like a domain name. Anyway, so we got some Ask Rory stuff. So it says, Dear Ask Rory. And you can actually just say, Dear Rory. My name is Rory. You can write Dear Ask Rory if you want to, <laughs> but my name is just Rory. So Dear Ask Rory. This is probably asking too much, but I need you. Now that you're working for the richest man in the world to spy a little on the deep, dark Microsoft R&D laboratory that's probably eight miles underground somewhere. It's actually not eight miles. It's 12 miles. To tell me how he does it. So that's the question, actually. How the frick does he do it? I'm talking about you-know-who, Bill. So, okay, so I want to get rich, too. And I'll bet you do, too, you little techno dweeb. I started my own research lab myself to see if I can do what MS does. Even if it's at a smaller scale, hey, it's a start. I even went to EdmundScientific.com and bought me a couple pair of them chromium tip tweezers that are like what I've heard all the mighty through the through the almighty grapevine that they're the exact same chromium tweezers that the Microsoft software engineers use. Yes, the grapevine still exists, and no, Al Gore didn't invent that too, despite what he says. <laughs> Problem is. I've not had much luck with them yet. Well, unless you count the time I was able to yank that one and a half inch nostril hair out of my head. Boy, that'd put a big old tear in my eye. So. So who would have thunk that a person could become the richest in the world because everybody's gone crazy about ones and zeros? I mean, people can't get enough of them, can they? I like the DNR talk you guys had with Mr. Petzl, but man, is he on the wrong trail these days? Analog computers, doesn't he get it? It's the ones and zeros, man. Well, maybe Charles isn't in it for the money. Fact, the richest man in the world made and continues to make his fortune by selling the rest of the world ones and zeros. I can picture these so-called software engineers in the Microsoft R&D lab, probably 50 or 60 of them standing there around this master CD with their chromium tip tweezers arguing about which should be coming next after they argued for two or three hours about the preceding digit a one or a stinking zero I think that's how they do it in the human genome project too except those idiots don't get it either it's the ones and zeros that make the whole world go round not genes unless they're made out of denim I figure that's why it takes so freaking long for a new OS to come out or the next version of Office, because these guys keep fighting over if it's a one. No, it's a zero that comes next. 
So is the next sequence one zero zero one one zero 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 one 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 or one zero one 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 zero 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 one one? He goes on and on. And then there's this tester guy. He keeps making a quick copy of the Microsoft Master CD, and the rest of them ask him, does it boot now? He shakes his head. They rearrange the last couple of ones and zeros that they've been arguing about for the past three hours. Then again, they ask, does it boot now? When the computer product, when the computer produces some sort of screen and begins begins starting, they all cheer like at a NASA Mars landing, knowing they've got the last <laughs> sequence right. Then they go back, then they go back at it and add a few more digits. The rest of us dummies have been brainwashed by Microsoft into making computers actually do something useful the hard way. Using tools like VSNet, VBNet, C Sharp, that framework thing, and God forbid UML <laughs> modeling. Oh, wait, that yeah. was something else. Anyways, boy, they have us fooled. It's the freaking ones and zeros. Anyone <laughs> at Intel or AMD will tell you that. So I need you to find out, like, do they write all those ones and zeros on a whiteboard first, then argue for a few hours, erase and rearrange, then place each one carefully on the master CD with the chromium tip tweezers? How many of those highly secret guys are there? Do they wow, run, like, long. continuously with three shifts of workers? Or is it just Bill himself with his buddy Steve that placed the ones and zeros? Is it that secret that they're the only ones allowed near the chromium tweezers and the ones and zeros? And are their tweezers really chromium tipped? And how do they put the ones and zeros on DVDs? And where in the hell do they get them ones oh and zeros? God. Are they, like, shipped in from some secret mine in South Africa? That's what I've heard. Now, what about DVDs? Are the tweezers for them, like, really, really tiny or what? Do they actually have to put the zeros on the DVD? Or do they forget about them because they're already there? So they just worry about where exactly to plop, plop each and every one. And once they get all of them on there, how do they rewind the friggin' thing without having all the ones fall off? I bet Bill will be pissed if that happened. Sorry, I just have a lot of questions about this stuff. I figure if Bill can do it, then why can't we? What's kind of maddening, though, if you think about it long enough, is that if you figure a randomly even distribution of both ones and zeros that Bill sells to the world, at least when you get a one, you're getting something. But the stinking zeros, what are they? Nothing. So go figure. Half of what Bill makes his fortune on, and we, like idiots, buy him like there's no tomorrow, is absolutely nothing. Zero. Zip. Nada. The guy's a freaking genius. Absolutely genius. Half of Bill's billions come from selling nothing at all. Genius, genius, genius. It makes me sick. Why didn't I think of that? It's so stinking simple. What an ingenious scheme. Who would have thunk? Anyway... I see you guys at Franklin's Net, Hata Carl in the Oaf in the Sound Room, are trying to get on the same bandwagon. I noticed that when I listen to your show that all you guys are doing and sending down the wire to my PC here, the same friggin' two things, a bunch of ones, ones and zeros. zeros yeah. Nothing else, just a bunch of ones and zeros. And the same goes for you. Half of what I get from you is stinking nothing. Okay, arguably nothing is not equal to zero, and null is null, and null is nothing, but null is not equal to zero either. But technical, schmecknickel, I don't care who you ask, zero ain't nothing. Well, wait a minute. Now, I'm freaking confusing myself, but you get the point. I mean, if the freaking bank says I have a zero in my account, (laughs) I'm in trouble, right? I'm thinking you guys at Microsoft, hey, I know you're the new guy and all, but still, and especially (laughs) you guys at Franklin's Net could take the higher path. I mean, it really pisses me off to no end that Larry freaking Ellison is scamming lots of idiots on the same ones and zeros. Thing. I don't mind that Bill does it. I like Bill because he's just a likable kind of guy. But Larry, no way. So I was talking about the. So I was talking about the higher path. I mean, how about you guys streaming down? Not all the time, but just once in a while, like a two or something. I think the world would really appreciate a two now and then. And who knows? Maybe there's a market for twos out there, and you can be rich like Bill. In fact, I know a lot of folks who go who just go nuts to buy a little two right about now. People are getting tired of ones. Not to mention that other low life number. And like once. A year hey send us a stinking three why don't you yeah, so that's my question for you tonight roy 
What do they do in those underground Microsoft labs with those chromium tip tweezers? And how do they get all them ones and zeros on those CDs that everyone's clamoring to give Bill money for? Oh and how God. long do they argue about it before they place down the next one? Or is wow. it a zero? What's They're their screwed, big secret? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told you. Awesome, dude. How many pages was that? Is that it? Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh that's my it. Um, it was a little long. God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But anyway, what we actually do, the big secret, is we actually take those tweezers and we find people who have good ideas and we just twist their nipples with the tweezers until they tell us all their good no, ideas. Their so what I would recommend nipple? you do, if, if you want to get yeah, if you want to get rich like Bill, you just go find somebody you like their idea, you grab them, you sit them down in a room, you tie them to a chair, you get that one single light bulb in the center of the room, and you just get out those chromium tip tweezers, and I would say give it about a 90-degree crank to the right just to see yeah. how it goes. All right, Now, if they start talking, then you're, going, you're getting somewhere, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't tell you anything or if they say, I don't know what you're talking about or I was just doing my grocery shopping, you crazy man, and you pick me up without asking, what what you do is you twist it again. You get it around about 180 degrees. Okay, now you got to be careful because at this point you might torque it enough, and uh, you could rip the whole nipple off. Okay, and you don't want to do that because if you don't have a nipple there, you got nothing to twist. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So what you got to do is you just got to kind of be careful and just give it a few oh. good jerks. And if they don't say anything, then you know you can probably just talk to the last guy who's into chopping people up and stuffing them down garbage disposal. <laughs> so that's Ask Rory for the week. Thank you. Wow. Yes. That's awesome. I'm writing this down. What was after the 180 degrees? Oh my God, man! That Rory was... has risen from the ashes. You can breathe now, Mister Phoenix. Jesus. Good Lord, that was that was incredible, man. <sighs> Stellar. Absolutely incredible. Mind blowing. Brilliant. He's lost. He's lost his ability. <laughs> he's passed to speak. out. I think he's passed out. Oh no, no, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just <sighs> hanging out because I feel like I probably did enough talking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Stop. The <laughs> conversationalist. That's good. Uh, geez, awesome. I just don't know what to say after that. That's, you got to uh, post that someplace. You have to cut and paste that and post it. Well, if, if your buffer can hold it, you know. Somebody in the chat room someplace. says, "Could you repeat that?" <laughs> yeah, start from the scratch. Yeah, I, I missed that last part. Just uh, the last ten minutes of that. Oh, uh, man. Well, anyway, uh, Richard, are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Oh, good. All right. I'm I'm glad that you. Stuck. I I have actually nothing to contribute after all of that. I mean, <laughs> you know, Rory has stolen the show. I, really, I think we ought to just like call it a show. In fact, Rory, who is that masked man that sent you the the damn thing? <laughs> oh, he said his name. The, the, yeah, yeah, I, I did say his name, but then I forgot it. it. Was it was kind of a it was a hard to say name, but I di- I did say it earlier. Oh, we ought to give him something free. I don't know what it is, but he, he spent a lot of hours away from the real world, and he's going to need therapy. <laughs> but, you know, we could, we could help him. And we could yeah. get him a refill on his medication, I guess. Actually, Rory, with your marketing closet, could you get him a set of chromium chip <laughs> tracers? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe what we ought to do is, uh, because winter is coming up here, we ought to get him a, uh, a .NET Rock sweatshirt with a hood. Ooh, a, a hoodie. A hoodie. Nice. A hoodie. nice. Yeah, like the Unabomber. Yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> some glasses. Next time he wants to write another manifesto, he'll be he'll be warm. <laughs> Give him some shades to go with that, and and an old van from the seventies, and a dog with you know three legs and, and two teeth and two teeth. Right. Aqualung. Yeah. Wow. Aqualung. Nice. I, I wonder what Chris Sells is going to say about this show. <laughs> six six six. That's all I can say. Yeah, it is. It's too much. So. uh so the the other well, the thing we were talking about before we were uh, interrupted was the um, 
we, you know, with all this crazy silliness was in great music, by the way, was uh, the Patterns and Practices group. Yeah, and um, actually, since you played some great music at the very top of the, the break there, I'm going to put in a, uh, a two-second uh, plug for uh, the group that you play, Tower of Power, and um, anybody interested in that music should go to bumpcity.com on the web. And um, the, the bass player who did that amazing bass line is a guy named Francis Rocco Prestia, who I had the pleasure of hanging out with on Wednesday night um, down wow. in um, so, uh, and this guy's a living legend. We didn't actually play that in the recording that we, uh, that we, we wound up with. That was, uh, while we were fixing the PC, so that didn't make it onto the cut. But I'll play just a little bit of it right here. Check out this bass line, man. This is awesome stuff. So cool. That's What Is Hip by Tower of Power. So where does that bump city.com? Mm-hmm. Bumpcity.com. The guys in the chat room have, have found it there Very as well. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Good and stuff. it's interesting uh, to me, uh, just getting back into playing music again the last couple of years, uh, because, uh, you know, patterns in other fields are, are not new. <laughs> There's sure. patterns all over the place in other fields. Um, and, and yet, you know, how long have we been doing this stuff on uh, just PCs alone, right. and we haven't been thinking in I, I, uh, patterns for writing software except for just a few years? You know, not to be an apologist, but I think that the the re- one of the reasons for that is because the technology changes every day, and it, you know, it was going so fast for so long there wasn't any time to establish patterns because a new OS was coming out. You well, know, that's and, and a, enough, that's a great point. Not enough software had been had been created and refined and created and refined. In order to you know to see those patterns evolving, even, but, even, but it's so so true. Even constructs, not just not just like an operating system or or a new development environment, but you could start with a pattern and then you find out on a on on a blog or another forum that you know maybe you can do this do this a different way. And you're like, yeah. oh, wow, that's neat. So your pattern that you did you know a month ago is like, well, this doesn't really apply now. I don't know another pattern. It's constantly changing. Yeah. Now you mentioned blogs, Richard. You uh, do you blog? Uh, do you have a blog? No, I'm not blogging yet. Uh, even Scoble, even Robert has um, been bugging me about blogging. And He bugs uh, everybody about blogging, though. He bugged me. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like, I don't know. I'm not sure how to react when the guy who who's made, uh, you know, the whole idea of blogging into this. I mean, I mean he's taken blogging to, to new heights because yeah. of his fame. Um, yeah. You know, um, gosh, I, I remember Robert before he was a blogger. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and uh, yeah, um, I'm. I told Robert when I saw him in the spring that um, okay, um, I think he'd half convinced me, and then I thought about it some more, and um, so I'm going to actually have a private um, site I'm setting up now with some stuff that will be public um, uh, probably by the time I'm down there to teach the class. Oh, cool, um, uh, Carl, and um, and I'll be. So I'll be doing some blogging by then because um, you know uh, been kind of wanting to for for now for a while. I think I think Robert kind of got me really thinking about it, and uh, so it's going to happen. Have you have you read Rory's blog? Have you read Neapolitan dot com? No, I have not. Oh God, <laughs> you know, go read it, and then next week we'll we'll have you back to just for a minute to tell us what you think. 
Okay, I'd be delighted to. I, I do use a, a newsreader to track some of the blogs that I'm interested in. Uh, my, my biggest complaint, and this is going to be a test of my own blog to see if I'm able to, to fight the urge um, <laughs> to talk about things that are not relevant. In other words, um, uh, I, th I think you know, there are certain blogs that I subscribe to where they do good stuff, but still, uh, it's like, all right, I'm going to pick on. There's a person who has a blog at Microsoft. This is a great guy. He's done a lot of great contributions to the community. Uh, and and uh, a lot of great work, in particular in the area of C sharp. But if he talks about cats again, I'm going to scream. <laughs> okay, and and this it, this is a great guy. He, he he does a lot of great work. But I I I would like to see the cats go in a different category somewhere. I don't want to know about the cats. That's sort of like us with nipples tonight. You know, they. You guys are definitely. You notice I've been silent on those <laughs> comments, and I, I have not used the N word yet. <laughs> you um, <laughs> You don't have a third nipple. Did you? We didn't offend you. Or anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you didn't. You didn't offend me okay. uh, or anything. It's just a, a little, little outside <laughs> there. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just too vanilla in that respect. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that, that'll 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 change. Well, Rory actually has to take off, but uh, I wanted to get him in here for one last minute uh, before you go. You have something something cooking, huh? Well, yeah. Um, nothing that I'm going to talk about, you know, publicly. But yeah. Um, well, I just so, wanted to thank you, man, yeah. for your contributions tonight, even though you've been kind of quiet. That was, you know, a brand new song, and that, that Ask Rory segment was just out of this world. So, man, thanks. Well, cool. Yeah. yeah. No, man, it, it was fun. I, I am a little down lately. I am a little tired and stuff, a little beat. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, had fun. So, cool. All right. Well, go have a good time. As good a time you All can right, have. Night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Night, Rory. Take care. I think he's drained after that segment. Yeah, I would, I'm drained. <laughs> um, the future of C plus plus and managed code. Now, as you know, you've been you've been doing C, you were doing C plus plus training long before uh, you know a lot of people were, and so you've been doing it for a long time. You obviously uh, got a lot of use out of it. Once you saw C sharp, what was your opinion of C plus plus? Well, I don't think my opinion of C plus plus changed, um, but. I think what happened was I changed because, uh, well, my transition from C++ to C Sharp was almost uh, identical in concept to my transition from uh, C to C++. Yeah. In 19, I guess it was 89, I really felt like I had exhausted everything I could want to do with C, and I was repeating myself trying to work around um, the... Uh, the, the limitations I was constantly dealing with. You know, I, uh, here's a scenario. I would, okay. you know, go and write some methods. This is in C. And then I'd say, well, gee, I've got some data that I need to use with those methods. And mm -hmm. then I, uh, would, I'd want to hide the data from the parties using the methods. So mm -hmm. um, you'd have a first method you call that would return um, a pointer or a handle to the data and be a void star so that you wouldn't expose any implementation details of the data out to the caller, and then they had to pass that in as a first parameter to all of your methods in C. You're basically After making a, while, a class. Doing yeah. C++, right? right? Yeah. Really going on there. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, once C++ came along, um, it, was, it was perfect for me. Um, I, I was ready to go to higher layers of abstraction in my work and didn't want to uh, have to hand model all those pieces to get that abstraction in there, yeah. which 
C was requiring. Well, I see C sharp as in many ways a natural uh, transition. It certainly fit where I wanted to go. I don't have a problem with plus um, plus. I think it's a great tool, and I think uh, I, however, I think maybe have a different view of C plus plus in the managed world. Um, I I don't think in most cases, and this is Microsoft C++ team just cringes. They hate me for saying this kind of stuff. Uh, I've tried to thin my hand and not make them you know, upset, but I think it's just a different viewpoint, and, yeah. and I don't think that I shouldn't say I think it's just a different viewpoint. Uh, sure. I don't think writing entire applications in managed C++ uh, to write managed code makes a lot of sense in most of the cases. Yeah. I try to qualify that a lot there. In that there time. are some cases when it's really handy to be able to use both managed and unmanaged code, right? Absolutely, and that's and that's and that's why I'm not saying don't use managed right. C++. I'm saying that I think managed C++ in particular is best when you have to solve problems involving both managed and unmanaged code in the same space, in particular inside the same assembly. It's yeah. a great tool for that. But the idea that you're going to write an entire application. Right. In managed C++, yeah. I don't know if that really always makes sense. I would say that uh, there's maybe some narrow cases where it might, but most of the time I, I wouldn't think so. Instead, you'd uh, use the managed C++ to solve problems where you need to do things both in managed and unmanaged code in one space, yeah. and then expose um, that unmanaged code through the managed code to the outside world in, you know, do the rest of it in C Sharp, VB.net, J Sharp, Delphi.net, whatever. Yeah. Mm. And, and um, you know, so I, I think there's a, at least that's, that's my take on it. So where's it going? That, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, so where's it going? What's the future? Well, I think uh, it, it's just where I was about to respond. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the fact that the, the Visual C++ team is transitioning from the original managed C++ syntax to a newer syntax that's coming out with uh, VS 2005 next year, mm -hmm. um, and that that syntax is more elegant and much simpler, um, I think it's great. It does remarkably resemble C Sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think, a, a tip of the hat to C Sharp, that um, it, it got some things right. And uh, I think that managed C++ is still going to have a very valid, valid and valuable place. Yeah. I personally don't see, again, writing entire applications in it for yeah. most of the .NET community. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there aren't special cases. Now, now, I'll still probably yeah. get in trouble with them for saying what I just said. Oh, no, you won't. It's well, your opinion. Well, you know, yeah. there's, there, there are guys there who are upset about things I said about Visual C++ in the 90s, when it was a completely different product, who will not speak to me passing them in the hall in Redmond hmm. because of those things. And I think, I think that's off the scale. I mean, I had a good reason to say those things in the 90s because... The parties who were running that team then, I think, really did the customer a great disservice. Yeah. VC5 and VC6 were simply inadequate um, products, except for ATL3, which was a great product. But the IDE really languished during that time. Yeah. And it really was just, a, a, to me, uh, not fair to the customer. Right. <coughs> and and clearly, seen, Microsoft responded yeah. to it with Visual Studio 2002. But there are guys on that particular team that that still are upset about things I said, that, you know, I just, I, I can't see why should I uh, 
why should I hold back on an opinion when uh, just because they disagree with no, it? I agree with that. You no? you do have to voice your opinion, and that you know the people who who get uh, who don't like your opinion have their right to be upset or whatever. But you know that's you know that's sweet. That's what opinions are. They're opinions. They're yeah. one man's opinion. Take it or leave it. You know what's the old saying? What, opinions like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. Well, you know what? Now that blogs are out there and everybody has the ability to voice their opinion, it's not such a big deal, you know. Yeah. But when, you know, I guess when there are, you know, only there's only one magazine in town and everybody's reading it, maybe, uh, you know, it it, it stings a so, little more. Well, but. I think, uh, you know, Managing Plus Plus is going to still have a, a terrific role, but I, I think um, uh, the new Managing Plus Plus, and I've forgotten the name they're calling it. Uh, it will be interesting because it, it, it does so closely resemble C-sharp that in some cases you could say, well, gee, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to harness that tool and use it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it, to me, it just presents more opportunities to write more managed code and hopefully leverage whatever unmanaged code we have and get away from unmanaged code, uh, put it behind us. It's uh, yeah. you know, time, time to move on from that stuff. <clears throat> one other the thing one of the things we've been talking about recently was uh sort of you know and you know maybe it's criticism hour or whatever but there's certainly uh certainly there are certainly things in ASP.NET that sort of can you know you do one one thing one way that has 90% of the features and you do another thing the other way that has 60% of the features in there I'm talking about you know user controls and web controls in particular Yep. And it doesn't seem like there's a nice, well-forged ally of the two. And to me, it seems like, you know, they, they needed to have an architecture that that they could get out the door that worked in, in most situations, even if it was a little bit of extra work. Excuse me. And then and then come the next version, which is this up-and-coming version, ASP.NET 2.0, those things would be worked out. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, we're stuck with user controls that have a visual designer when you're working on them and then when you implement them, the visual goes away and you can't compile them as DLLs. <clears throat> and then web controls, which have no designer, but uh, you can compile as DLLs and use them in the, in the toolbox and drag in and use them as components and, and you reuse, but you don't have any visual designer. So it'd be nice, you know, I can't, can't wait for ASP.NET 2.0 is what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> lack of reusability when it comes to the, uh, the web or server controls um, Really, um, uh, sorry, I've got that backward. The the server controls are the reusable ones, but there's no visual um, representation at design time. And then, okay, you're going to get the visual representation with the um, uh, uh, the user controls, and then uh, what to use it? You got to copy the the Bloomin file into every different project, you know? Right. Now, I I don't grant that this is not an easy problem. I do grant, sorry, this is not an easy problem to solve um, because they've got to represent these things properly at design time yeah. in, the, in the UI of the designer. Um, it's not an not a, not a, uh, easy problem at all, but uh, still, um, I'm liking, so there should know. just be, should, they should put, say, make it a directive, mm. don't ship any new tools that require copy and paste to utilize yeah. them. I, I'm really liking web controls. I started out using user controls a lot mm-hmm. because they were easy to design. And later on did I discover that web controls are actually 
easier to to work with and develop if you do them right. And you know the problem is that the, the example of the user control is to like to render the text property mm-hmm. of the web control. I'm sorry, the example of the web control is to render the text property in a label. And so you're thinking, you know, okay, I got to like come up with all this HTML on the fly in a string and it just doesn't work that way. So the best, you know, when, once I discovered the uh, the, com- the composite controls where you actually create the controls and you just add them to the controls collection or the rows yep. collection of a table and you, you make tables and you make controls in those tables and you have events and stuff, I really went to town. So I'm, uh, I, once I discovered that, I... Uh, I pretty much use web controls now exclusively, even though yeah, I don't it's a good point. Um, it, it, the, the key is to focus on reusability. Right. Um, and the, the lack of it is what drives you crazy. But now, see, what you did is you effectively said, okay, well, I'll take the part that is reusable and use it to leverage <laughs> right. parts that aren't in some right. ways. And, you know, I, somebody in the chat room just made a good point is that. Uh, we should sort of define what web controls and user controls are. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and do that? Oh, you want me to define them? Great. You know why? Because <laughs> people hear me talking all the time. and uh, I'm, I'm actually not um, uh, an ASP.NET expert, but I'll do my best okay. as a middle-tier guy okay, sure. to, uh, to take a whack at it. Although I think um, you already articulated probably as much as, as I would be able to do. Okay. Um, and I don't even remember the base classes on these things. Yeah. What I do know is that the, the user controls are the ones that have um, a visual representation at design time when you're laying out your page. Yeah. And in other words, um, the classic ones that we all know and love, like buttons, labels, text fields, and all those guys. Right. And um, uh, the beauty of them is you can see them while you're working with them. Right. Okay? Um, and the evil aspect of them, it's not a major evil, but it's got to be corrected eventually, yeah. is that if I've got two projects that use uh, two different, uh, they use the same user control. I've got to copy the .ascx file into those projects. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a workaround I don't know about, but my understanding is you want to reuse them, you've got to put them into every single project uh, uh, virtual directory. And another problem is that uh, when you drag one and drop one onto a page, it looks like you have a reference to it. Like, like if I make one called header.ascx, which is my top header, looks like you have a reference to it, but you go into the page load and you say header one dot, nothing happens because you don't have a reference to it. You have to find it with find control, cast it to a to your type, and then you have a reference to it. So it's a little strange. You know, it's not it's not really like a component, a reusable component. It's more like, as Dino Esposito says in his book on ASP.NET, it's more like a pagelet. You know, like a little yeah, piece of like an, point. like an include file almost. Oh yeah, it it's it's very reminiscent of well, another uh uh anti pattern, ASP. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, a little bit. But the web control is something where you only have the code, you don't have a designer. Right. And uh it has uh, a couple of methods that you, you use. One is to create the child controls where you actually instantiate your controls that you probably want to have private references to at the top. Uh, of your code at the class l- level so you can access them. And then it has a render override. These are both overrides. You you override the render method, and that's where you set up the the, the properties of the controls that you're going to do. And then you add your top-level control, whatever it is, to the controls collection. I'm sorry, you do that. And, you know, I'm trying to get into details here. I promised people when I started this show that I would not 
read and explain code <laughs> with audio. So I won't. So basically, I'll back up and say you override this render method in which you have a output writer, an HTML text writer, and uh, you call my base render passing in that writer, and after setting the property values, and it basically turns into this little beautiful thing that you can see and use while you're working in the page, but you don't actually get a visual representation while you're building it. And of course it compiles the DLL. You put it in the in the toolbox and you can drag it into your web pages and things like that. Great to use in uh, the, the repeater, in the data list, and in the data grid with data binding. If you put them in the templates, then you can actually use data binding to bind to properties of those controls and uh, you know, one of the things we do in my class is we make a little shopping cart item. Mm-hmm. That's you know, great. Where it's got, we've got a table, and you've got a, uh, you know, a few, few different cells, like four cells in two rows, two, two cells in each row, and you've got like a image, and you got a description, and a price, and a, and a button to add it to the cart, and a text box for the quantity, and uh, you just bind it. You just bind it to your data. And you see it repeat across the screen, and when you push the button, you get the item command event, and you know it's it works really really well. That's, that's sweet. We actually used uh, uh, the data list. Um, I think it's in our calendar uh, on our site for listing the, the public courses and events and things like that. Yeah, I think, the, I think we use the data list there, and then um, the grid over in the registration table. It's cool stuff. That's very cool stuff. I'm intrigued. Actually, you know, what I should do is, um, you know, when, when I have the spare time, is come down and <laughs> sit in on one of your classes. Oh, I'm definitely going to sit down in yours. Well, we ought to compare <laughs> notes because you were talking at the top of the show about um, what you guys did in, in your class this week with building stuff. Yeah. And that's always so much fun. We oh, have it's a, much uh, more fun. Yeah. We have a lab we do in our web services material in the .NET Boot Camp um, where it's it's we want to go beyond just doing you know little rinky dink uh, web services on the one hand on the other hand um, you know web services don't always scale very well if you try to use them in a traditional RPC fashion and right. the idea was to um, uh, try to exploit SOA and uh, really think in terms of disconnectedness. Uh, operations where one party says, well, uh, you know, instead of expecting an immediate result, let's get a result um, that'll uh, pay off sometime in the future. And uh, yeah. uh, instead of um, uh, saying, I want something now, which is classic RPC, it's here's some information about me and you can give me back what I'm looking for at this later point. And here's where you send it to, because there's no eventing. In, uh, in eventing mechanism in web services. So right. um, the client has to effectively have its own service implemented right. that the publisher can use to send information out on. We set up a publish-subscribe scenario. And if we have a big enough class, we have different parties in the class all working on different parts of this project in parallel. Yeah. And consequently, we, we end up, there's a, there's a minimum of four key pieces, each of which consists of... Uh, uh, three different uh, Visual Studio projects. So it's a total of, of 12 Visual Studio projects if you build the whole thing by yourself. That's cool. And they're all built on different machines. We use config files to put all the soft uh, issues into, like 
the URL of somebody you're going to call into or the URL of where you want things delivered uh, to and things like that. Yeah. And uh, the beauty of this, we, we will do this in a large class with a, you know, a wireless LAN or something like that, is we have all this, this stuff floating all over the room yeah. when it's running. And when it runs correctly, then you have one party making a request to another party who effectively lays something out for a, a third party to pick up and use to fire information to a fourth party yeah. who makes it available back to the There's party. nothing wrong with that. That's good. I like that. Very, very, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And you really get a much better sense of how all this stuff comes together. Hey, uh, one question before we uh, bring on Richard the Toy Boy. Uh, this came from a Mark Miller from Boulder, Colorado, who says last year, and I don't know if this is Mark Miller, but he's in oh, Vegas. Oh, it, it's got, I wonder if Colorado, where is Mark? Is he's Mark in Vegas. Colorado? Yeah, he lives in Vegas. So. All right, so anyway, he says, last year I paid some attention to the pet store shop studies that were conducted by the middleware company. The results came out in Microsoft's favor on many fronts. However, the com did an analysis of the results, and they found some fault with the .NET implementation saying the .NET team used some anti-patterns to achieve their performance. They criticized this move, saying the good de- that good design was of utmost importance, seemingly above all other considerations. I disagreed with this view, and still do. I've been involved in large real-world projects, and while we had good design as a goal, it wasn't always possible due to time and budgetary constraints. I wonder what your guest has to say about these pet store studies and the criticisms of them. Great question. By the way, that's serverside.net, I think. that he's Yeah, did I say that? Yeah, he did say .com. It's, oh, he did. He it's said the serverside.net, yes. Yeah, that's, um, uh, what's his name? Edits that thing. Great guy. Um, yeah, I'm Ted Newman. Yes, Ted, right. Ted, Ted's yeah. going to kill me for not remembering his name. That was <laughs> bad on my part. My bad. Um, well, it's a really good question because it actually goes back to, if you recall, the whole, um, uh, benchmark thing, the benchmark wars that were going on uh, during the last couple of years of COM and uh, with Microsoft on the one, ha- one side and, and Sun and, and IBM with Java yeah, it was on the other side. <clears throat> and um, every single one of those, not just Microsoft's implementation of that, what's that benchmark called, Carl? I can't remember. Yeah, it was the uh, pet store. Was, was that pet store back in the com days as well? Oh, in the com days? No, yeah. no. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, what I'm what I'm getting to is remember. that when they did those earlier benchmarks, they did the same thing that he's referring to uh, that that Ted caught um, in that uh, all of them abandoned their own um, the, the the hot technologies that they were pushing. For instance, in Microsoft's case, um, at the time they were pushing. Uh, VB on the front end, uh, C++ and ATL in the middle, uh, ADO or something on the back end, things like that. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was three-tiered with COM, right? And uh, the team that did that at Microsoft completely threw out the use of uh, VB on the front end, or even, if I recall, COM or ATL in the middle. I think they may have discarded that as well and did it all raw uh, with C++. Hmm because they're trying to squeeze performance out because it was going to be all over the press and Sun would eat them up if uh, they didn't show up favorably. And Sun, and I'm not picking on just Microsoft here, Sun did the same thing. They abandoned all of their best practices they were pushing to their developer community. And IBM, same answer. So um, the problem is when they do these publicly, uh, uh, you know, uh, mentioned 
benchmark like this, yeah. the team that does it tends to throw everything out the window in favor of performance, and it mm. becomes completely unrealistic. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that looking at the benchmarks in the first place really tells you that much that's really valid. Yeah. Um, I think Ted's point is a good one, that um, you can't abandon good design. I think, on the other hand, the writer's point, and you've got to put these in context, that um, there are times where either you're constrained by budget, constrained by time, or constrained by um, necessities for your customer, uh, where some aspects of a design might have to be altered in order to favor what the customer is going to need. And don't get me wrong, I am not a big fan of saying, oh, well, we've got a deadline, so throw away the design. We're just going to have to rewrite the damn thing anyway. I don't think think deadlines are necessarily the, the big problem, but it's performance. You well, that's usually it. And, and he, he, when you read that, he said, I think, something about he did. deadlines. He and did so say deadlines wanna... and budgetary constraints, but, but he also, his, his first example yeah. was, about, was about performance, and, and that makes sense to me. I agree. I agree. It, it, and just on the, on the deadline thing, you know, it always seems like there's, there's not enough time to do it right, but there's plenty of time to do it over later. Yeah, that's, that's wrong. That, this, by the way, and I'll blog on this at some point, but this, by the way, is, is I think, driven by middle management looking at quarterly results and the entire industry and all the other industries in this country need to give up this quarterly nonsense. I totally agree, man. Totally uh, agree. You know, anytime anytime some middle manager says to me, well, and and, or a CEO says to me, you know, we can't do that. We got stockholders. Uh, I just ask him, you know, who's one of the biggest billionaires in the country right now? It's Warren Buffett and he doesn't follow any of this crap. Right. You know, and I think he knows a little bit more about how to make money at that level than some of these guys who are blathering That's about quarterly results. It, it all comes down to money, you know. And if if you can convince the middle managers that doing it right the first time is actually going to save them money. Then that's what you have. That's the that's the argument you have to make, and it is going to save the money. Yeah, and I think the the secret is then really looking at it from the customer's perspective. In the long run, you're going to do your customer better right. by doing the right job. Thank goodness Microsoft didn't force the .NET team to ship when they weren't ready with 1.0, and they're doing the same thing with 2.0. The team has to decide when the product is ready. We'll all benefit because of that. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard. I'd, well, Richard, I'd like you to uh, sit tight while we bring on. Richard Campbell, and that's going to be hard with two Richards here, who is the toy boy for the segment we call Richard the Toy Boy. 39 speakers in my living room. NASA complains about the sonic boom. 10 foot high screen, 20 feet wide. Hey, Richard Campbell, how you doing? Hey, Carl Franklin, glad to be back home. Yeah, you uh, have been trekking around the world down to Malaysia and back, and that was uh, quite a quite an interesting uh, phone call, for lack of a better word, we got from Malaysia. It, <laughs> it, it was a fun show. It was a, quite an experience for me to put it together. I uh, blogged the whole thing. Yeah, I it was once I had four things plugged in in a chain <laughs> to make it work. I was really going nuts. It was like a foot of uh, you know at least twelve inches of adapters sticking out of your wall. That was really really funny. I, the <laughs> terrible part was that it actually worked. Yeah. So what do you got for us? Anyway, the fun part about that whole thing, I've got to tell you, is being out in the field and actually meeting up with people who've listened to the show that are excited to hear it and uh, always want to show me their new toy. So I saw a lot of stuff there Mm -hmm. while I was there. Kuala Lumpur is a toy universe. It sounds it. I want to go to that mall. 
<laughs> oh, the mall's astounding, man. You, your mouth just stand, is hanging open while you're going up, up escalator after escalator looking yeah. at more and more and more toys. So uh, you are the toy boy, and every week you find a, a good toy and a questionable toy to, to spring on the listeners, and hopefully we give one away to a lucky listener. I think we're due for a good toy giveaway. And so I've been yeah, looking around true. and ran across something that's uh, I'm really excited about. Uh, good old Logitech has come through again. So I'm going to send you to Shrinkster, okay. shrinkster.com slash R's and Romeo zero. And that'll take you to the Logitech site for Logitech's latest mouse. It's not a nose mouse. This is, is <laughs> oh, no, it's not a nose mouse. It's just a mouse mouse. Okay. But it's got a, you know, it's got that classic mm. name, MX-1000, because there was 999 <laughs> attempts before this yeah. one. <laughs> of course. MX. Just like, have you ever wondered what happened at preparation A through G? <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, it's a wireless mouse, which is good, but it uses a laser instead of an LED. And the advantage is that the light is very bright and focused so that it's very, very accurate. Mm. Now, I use a, I have a wooden surface desk, and I can use a mouse like this without any problems on the grain. I don't have to use a special surface at all. So the mouse is excellent in that respect. And it's got all of the latest features we've come to expect, which is you know more buttons than a typical F-15 pilot needs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just don't pick it up and look at it. <laughs> So I was going to say, is that MX technology from like back in the Reagan days, the old MX missile? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. And uh, reasonably priced for what it is. It's uh, the latest and ge- greatest generation of mouse, and for only $80 US, you can't really go wrong. Yeah, we so, can, uh, we can I highly recommend this away. product. I think it's excellent. Very cool. Very cool. So I think we will give one of those away. Absolutely. Now, I did not fight hard to find a good toy this week. Some days I have a tough time with a good toy. Some days I have a tough time with a bad toy. This week was a tough, bad toy week Mm. i really struggle because you know people have been sending me toys and some of the toys have been sending me have been rather bad (laughs) a little too bad bad. (laughs) send them like so bad i don't even want to show them to kirk they're so bad so you're afraid here but i'm I'm, (laughs) and i always try and you know link up with a toy that it connects with the show and it took me a while to finally get a feel for what our show is going to be like and what the appropriate toy would be so i've got one Okay. And I'm, I've sub, I may disappoint here that it's not as far out as you may want, but go to <laughs> shrinkster.com slash R for Romeo 9. R for Richard. R for Richard 9. Wherefore art thou, Richard? <laughs> Ooh, an LED binary watch. Because you binary. know it's all about the ones and zeros. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Right. And now you can own a watch <laughs> that's all about the ones and the zeros. No kidding. That is cool. Huh. That's very now, cool. I put this product in the transcendently geeky category because not a bad it toy. has features of no redeeming fee- value. Oh, well, okay. Oh, man. Okay, as soon as you have to count on your fingers or grab a calculator to figure out what time it is, yeah. it's a bad <laughs> toy. I could annoy so many people with this in a meeting, uh, man. So, you know, like when they dim the lights to look at the, you know, look what's on the screen. Oh, so, my God. So, Richard, awesome. let me get this straight. So, while you were listening to Rory uh, read that rant, you actually thought to yourself, ah, ones and zeros. I'm going to go find this binary watch. And in in that short amount of time, you found this? Well, I actually, I keep a stash of planned toys. <laughs> and this particular mm-hmm. one was sent to a sent to me by a listener named Gene Morin. 
And uh, I'd been holding it back, wondering when I was going to use it. Sooner or later, it was going to come up. And, Perfect. you know, when the ones and zeros ran hit, my mouth was hanging open like everybody else. You know, I'm and not I, so sure that... The, the watch came back to me. I'm not so sure that people wouldn't want one of these over the Logitech mouse. So I think we'll give people a choice. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty geeky stuff here. You know, hey, look at my binary watch. <laughs> what, what does this it go is for? Se- pretty geeky. $70. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. All, All right. right. Well, we'll give them a choice, we'll but I a have choice. a contest question planned, and it's not a simple question. I'm going to make you work for it, like okay. I always do. Okay. Hidden away on that Logitech website is the answer to this question, so at least giving you a place to start. But there's one of the questions, of course, everybody has when they hear about a laser mouse is, will this thing kill me? Can I actually cook <laughs> ants with it? <laughs> and so if you look carefully in the site, there's a particular rating that this laser is uh, marked under it's a uh, particular rating and i want you to find that rating send that rating to you tell them carl yep uh, send that rating to dot net rocks at franklins.net and uh, this is only for the live listeners so if you're listening to an archive show uh don't don't send us any email because the contest is over <laughs> um and if so if you're listening live and you can find that send it to us at dot net rocks franklins net meanwhile we're going to listen to some tower power until we get uh the first right answer Jason Hale. Congratulations, Jason. Yes. Just found it. Just ah. <laughs> and it's a class one. So, Jason, uh, congratulations. And email us at .net rocks at franklins.net. Give us your mailing address. Tell us whether you want the, uh, the binary watch or you want the Logitech mouse. And, and there you go. Richard, uh, thank you very much for, for that. That was enlightening. Always a pleasure. See you next week. So Richard Hale Shaw, what's uh, what's next on your ve- on your uh, agenda? You have any uh, calls to action for the listeners, or uh, any any things you're going to be doing soon? Of things I'm going to be doing? Yeah. Oh oh well, um, I am going to be giving a uh, Ineta talk for the Ineta group in Finley, Ohio, next week on Wednesday night um, on patterns and practices in .net. Beautiful. And the URL for that group, which I got to look. Um, we'll put up a uh, link to it. It's uh, fanug dot org. Cool. Got that, or I can paste it into the window here for you guys to. 
Cool, yeah. And we'll also put a link on the website to that. Good. Uh, yes, def- definitely. And there's a link on my site. So if you go to richardhelshawgroup.com, um, that'll be uh, Wednesday, September 29th in Finley, Ohio. Uh, best practices for C-sharp and .NET developers. Excellent. Um, so that's kind of going on. I'm actually simultaneously teaching a class in Ann Arbor uh, next week. So I'm just going to uh, leave class a little early and drive down to Finley and... Uh, Give that there, and then I think uh, I have another class the following week, and then I think I have a week off, and then I'm hanging out with you, Carl. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, listen, man, I I just got to thank you on behalf of myself and and the listening audience uh, for for coming on the show. It was it was great what we what we did talk about. I know we had a lot of fun too. And uh, oh, that, absolutely, I, delighted, uh, absolute pleasure to be invited to be on the show. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, and come back anytime. And uh, we'll catch up with you after your class here. So on behalf of myself and Rory Blythe out in Portland, Oregon, and Kirk Webb here in the studio, and Richard Campbell out in Canada and B.C., and Jeff Maciolik in the sound room, thanks for listening to .NET Rocks. Have a great week. Rock on, folks. Time for life is hard.